this week on The Startup Life. There are certainly going to be some, some machines that can do that, but the creativity that we bring versus just working with our hands is going to be huge. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Todd Palmer, founder of Extraordinary Advisors. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the Labor Yourself, Make Your Own Look, and Making Money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to see some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today, Startup Nation. We have Todd Palmer. What's going on, Todd? Hey, Dominic. How are you, man? I cannot complain, brother. I cannot complain. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Absolutely. Let's put some fuel on that fire. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Startup Nation. This is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Todd, first things first, man. Tell us about your path of entrepreneurship up until this point. Well, it's crazy. So, my, my, really my path of entrepreneurship started when I was in about sixth grade. So, I grew up in a really small town in mid-Michigan. Okay. I had 42, 42 kids in my graduating class from high school. Wow. And uh, I start, I, my first entrepreneurial venture was actually selling candy that I bought at the store on the way into school to the, my, the kids in class. So I buy it for a nickel, sell gotcha. it for an order, great margins. Um, <laughs> slowly progressed and over the course of time, I started my, my first quote unquote real business. Uh, gosh, 1997 when I started for uh, $15,000. Okay. Uh, started started a staffing business, diversified industrial staffing, mm-hmm. and um, I gave myself ninety days to make it work. World's worst business plan. <laughs> and uh, by by a hook or crook, by day seventy two, we actually turned a profit. Okay. Uh, and then we've had some highs, we've had some lows, but uh, it, it's certainly been a, an interesting ride. And I think at this, it, I think I knew then, and as I know now, I, th- I don't think I'd be a really good employee. So being being part of a startup. When I was younger and being part of a startup now as I'm a little bit older, it really fit well with my personality. Gotcha, gotcha. Definitely understand that that uh, after a while you become kind of unemployable, if you will. So, you know, yeah, definitely appreciate you sharing that for sure. So, Todd, before we dive into uh, you and everything, we're going to talk about your book a little bit and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about, because you're there in the, in the Detroit area, correct? Correct. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the entrepreneurial climate and business culture there in Detroit. I'm really glad you asked because it's something I'm super proud of. Mm-hmm. The, the entrepreneurial culture here in Detroit has turned around significantly in the last 10 years. For, For so sure. many years, we were very you know, automotive manufacturing dependent. And within the last 10 years, we've got a, an entrepreneur who's been just a huge influence on our community by the name of Dan Gilbert, mm-hmm. founder of Quicken Loans, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. For sure. And he's brought over nearly 20,000 white collar jobs in less than seven years to downtown Detroit. He owns over 120 buildings down there now that he bought out of bankruptcy. And he's really turned around the culture down there. He's turned around the, the community. 
you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even have a major grocery chain in downtown Detroit. Now, really? it's, it's, it was just really a ghost town. And it was tough as I would travel around the country as an entrepreneur doing different things. And people would say, oh, wow, you're from Detroit. We're so sorry. Now, when I tell people I'm from Detroit, like, oh my goodness, you're part of the, the big you know, Midwestern rebirth. And it's, it's got, the credit's got to go to, a, to Dan Gilbert, who's brought in the Quicken folks. He's brought in incubators to fuel that entrepreneurial fire. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and the reason I wanted to ask is because you're, you're exactly right. You know, the, the story of Detroit in the business culture is a fascinating one. You, you go back to the big automotive booms in the, in, the, in the 50s and the 60s and stuff like that. And then, like you said earlier, like uh, around the uh, economic collapse of our economy around that 2007, 2008 period kind of really hit a downturn. But we've been hearing about the resurgence of Detroit. And I kind of want to get somebody's uh, take on it from the ground floor. Well, it's, it's really exciting because they're creating an atmosphere for, for younger people and younger entrepreneurs who want to have that big city feel. Right. 10, 10 15 years ago, nobody lived in the city of Detroit. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of my, my friends, their, they, their significant others, their wives, their spouses, didn't want to go to anything in Detroit because they didn't feel safe. Now we've got major sports downtown. All the major sports are there. We've got theater district we've got a lot of restaurants and a lot of entrepreneurial ventures down there and when i bring when you know when friends come in from out of town that's the place i take into downtown detroit because i'm super proud of the way it's come back as well as it being a very safe and inviting area for everybody awesome stuff awesome stuff thank you for sharing that now i want to dive into your book and startup nation todd wrote a book the job search process and you can buy that on amazon we actually have a link in the show notes for easy access to purchase that book so before we get into the book itself, tell me about the process of writing the book. Because we have many people who, who want to write books, but they're not really sure how to get started, what that process looks like. Kind of share that with us a little bit. Well, I appreciate you asking. Uh, my book came out of a, a real passion I have mm-hmm. for, for helping people get, get employment. Well, it may not have necessarily appealed to the, to the folks who are listening to the Startup Nation program. I'm sure they have you know, friends and family who are getting out of high school and college who are looking for their first job. And that's really, that's who the book is designed for. Um, a buddy of mine, you know, I kept saying there's a problem with hiring. There's a problem with kids coming out of school, not having the, the information and the, and the education. And he kept challenging me. Hey, you, you got to write your book. You got to write your book. And so one night over a, over a couple of, a couple of pops, so to speak, he really put, you know, his money on the line saying, listen, I think we should put a little skin in the game. You should have this book done within the next six months. Well, I wrote the book in less than 90 days. I devoted 100% of my time as, you know, as the CEO of my company. I took a leave of absence, and I really cranked through that book because I found that the kids coming out of high school and college didn't know how to do a job search, and they didn't know how to find that job, and they didn't know that 80% of jobs are never listed anywhere. They wow. didn't know how to, to market themselves to get a good opportunity. And nowadays, in, in the economy of full employment, there, there are plenty of opportunities and there's not enough people. So really it's gone from employers being in charge of the hiring process and being able to select from several candidates when our employees and job seekers have several opportunities and they're able to be in the, the driver's seat during today's economy. So I think the book is even more applicable today than when I published it in 2015. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And believe it or not, Ty, a lot of people in Startup Nation are not solely entrepreneurs. There are many of them who are actually working professionals in that traditional nine to five, or they're kind of that hybrid between the two. So no, it's very applicable. I assure you for sure. Well, especially for those people who are looking to, to transition out of maybe 
full-time employment into part-time employment with, with mm-hmm. gig nation, right, with freelancer right. nation, with solopreneurs out there who might need that secondary income. There are a lot of companies, believe it or not, nowadays that will work around an alternative schedule. They will be more focused on the work product you create versus the hours you put in. So I think if it's now an ideal time for someone who wants to take that entrepreneurial leap while still maintaining a sense of a sense of employment while they get their business started. It's a great time for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing that for sure. Now there's a section in the book, the dump your egg section, right? And you tell the story about the guy. Uh, I think he was a friend of yours. He went back to college to get out of retail. Can you share that story with startup nation a little bit? I, I, can you refresh my memory a little bit on this one? I, I'm, ha- I'm drawing a blank here. Sure, I'm sorry. no worries. I, I think it was a situation where um, you had a friend. He was in retail. He fell stuck, and he wanted to um, he wanted to uh, get out of retail. So he decided to go back to college, get a degree, got the degree, was still stuck in retail, and he ended up blaming the college and not himself. Like I think he was really speaking to like accountability of himself as opposed to pointing fingers outward, I think. Well, and that happens quite a bit is, yeah. is the, the people go back to school and, and the difference, there's, there's a real division. I used to be on a board of the, of the school I graduated from here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I used to have the debate with the dean a lot. I said, well, are we in the, are we in the education business? Or are we in the job readiness business? Because mm. at the time my son was in school, I was like, well, I'm paying for him to get an education. So he will be best positioned to be able to take care of himself and his future family through the education he's acquired here at the university. And the university's position was very different. They were in the education business, not the job readiness business. So going back to the, the, the story you're alluding to, people really think that by going and getting a, a university degree, that's positioning themselves and that the university is gonna help them. And that isn't always the case, S- especially nowadays with freelancer nation being so prevalent and with the skilled trade shortage, you can go out and get make a six-figure income without a college degree if you learn a trade, if you, you learn to become a welder, you learn to become a machinist. Truck drivers are in high demand. Um, it, there's just a lot of opportunities out there. And I think you're going to see a switch over the next 15 to 20 years where university degrees are going to be less important. People are going to be asking less in interviews what your degree is as compared to what can you, Mr. Mr. or Miss Employee, or prospective job seeker, what can you do for us? What problems can you solve? You're even seeing with places like Google where the degrees are less important and the problem solving skills trump that education. Absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned that. That actually segues into the very next questions I was gonna ask because Todd, I see every other day, there's an article or a podcast or something out there that kind of talks about how the college degree it's not necessarily it's not important, but it's not weighted as much as it has, you know, like back in the maybe the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s and stuff like that. But also uh, they, those articles and podcasts also talk about automation and tech and AI kind of like, you know, uh, being really uh, infused into the marketplace as well. So I guess I wanted to just talk to you a little bit more about like in your if you have a crystal ball in front of you right now, what does the job market in your eyes look like? 10, 15 years from now, when you think about that college you know, degree not being weighted as much and automation really making a surge into the job market? Well, I think for anybody who's listening today, I think a real good person for them to research is a futurist. His name is Peter Diamandis. Okay. And Peter, Peter talks about, and he actually shows video proof of what some of these manufacturing environments are going to look like specifically. There, there are currently robots in some of these facilities that can do literally a backflip. They're right. so incredibly technologically advanced. 
So the, the work that people did 15, 20 years ago, even currently, is going to be gone. That's the reality. Some mm -hmm. of this work is going to need to be, you know, is going to be replaced by machines, replaced by AI. And if a, if a machine, if machine learning is as advanced as it appears to be, it's going to really take care of those those mundane tasks that people do. What the, I don't think the machines are going to be able to to replace it is that ability that people have to innovate. Absolutely. It, going back to the entrepreneurial thought process, going back to the problem solving thought process. There are certainly going to be some, some machines that can do that, but the creativity that we bring versus just working with our hands is going to be huge. I think that's where the real opportunity for people is going to be. There's, and there's certainly going to be the need for, for people to do other tasks, such as you know, restaurant retail is going to be still needed. Some manufacturers is still going to need it. Some driving is still going to be needed. Right. But the, the, the jobs our grandchildren are going to have are going to look really different. The, you know, the, I always tell people who, who want to go into manufacturing, really take a look seriously at any type of repair type of training you can get, whether it's hydraulic, pneumatic, electrical. If you can repair the machines, that's going to give you a huge, huge mm. opportunity because those machines eventually will wear out and break down. And while I'm not, I can't promise you they're going to be able to repair themselves, right now we need people who can repair those. So that's going to be a key area as well as anything else that people can do to, to solve problems in a creative mindset versus just putting their, their, their shoes on going to work and using their hands. That's going to be key as well. For sure, for sure. Really quick follow up, if I would, because when you talk about, you know, that, you know, AI and tech kind of into the marketplace, you know, that brings up the notion of a UBI or universal basic income. Where do you stand on that? Do you think that's a real thing or or what's your take on that? Well, I, I think there's going to I think you're seeing that in, in other countries already. Right. I think it's going to come to the United States. I think I just saw something recently where Target, the retailer, has indicated they're going to create a universal wage across the country within two years of $15 an hour. Oh, wow. And so that's going to contribute to it. You've got San Francisco, which has the highest minimum wage per hour. I think it's $15 or $16 out there. So that's going to change. What we're seeing is there's that, there's that generational push and pull between that older generation that had to work its way up, and then you have that younger generation who's going to work differently, and the value of their work is going to be measured differently. So as those things shift and change, I, th I think something like a, like a UBI is going to be coming into play as generationally we change. I mean, if you think about it from a, over the last 100, and, 100 to 110 years, you know, the way we work in the United States has changed significantly. 100 to 110 years ago, 98% of us were farmers. Right. 50 years ago, 95% of us were in manufacturing. So as we, as we cycle through these different iterations of what work looks like, there's going to have to be that social, that social catch-all like a UBI is going to provide us. People have to get retrained. People have to learn new skill sets. And inventors, entrepreneurs are going to have to come up with, with new work for people to do. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And when you talk about that push-pull between generations, it reminds me, uh, Startup Nation, of a, a previous guest, Lee Carraher, that we had on the, on the Startup Life, where she talked about this is the first time in the in job market history where we, had, we have five generations in the marketplace. And so that's why it, it, you made me think about when you said that. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, your previous guest makes a really great point. And you can even take even a step further. We are, we are at the lowest labor participation rate in 50 years. Wow. That means if there's 100 people in a room, 60 of them were working last 49 years ago that aren't working now. 
those numbers are shifting and changing. Everybody watches the unemployment number. The real number to watch is a labor participation number. Mm -hmm. Then you take that labor participation number, the lowest in 50 years, and take a look at the unemployment category for millennials, and it's at 13%. The country's at 4%. The millennials at 13%. So you've got the, the baby boomers leaving the market. You have the lowest labor participation rate in 50 years, and then you have millennials who are not coming into the workforce to be measured now, again, they could, be, they could be Uber drivers. They could be doing some different ways to make income, but they're not part of the fully employed. So those numbers really shift and change, and, and, and it puts some of these, these challenges. You know, we talked about the UBI, but you also have to take a look at, you know, what are we doing with visas? What are we doing with immigrants? What are we doing to, to fill these jobs we currently have with people who want to do the work, but yet they're not able to come into the United States and do them? So it gets very politically very complicated. For sure. Thank you so much. And Startup Nation, when you hear Todd, talk about these things like, you know, the, uh, the UBI or the labor, labor participation number, you know, it's very important as the entrepreneur that hires employees to be mindful of these things because the, the, the marketplace, the job market really is changing before our eyes. And it's something that you should definitely be aware of. So Todd, I really appreciate all the value you just gave us. Well, people are the vet, the, the differentiator for any business for sure. And, and so, yeah, anybody listening, any entrepreneur who thinks you're going to be able to do it alone, go it alone, be that rugged individualist, you're going to be able to build yourself a job, which is fine. You can be a solopreneur, but if you really want to grow and scale a company, you're going to need those people. You're going to need that help. You've got to come up with ways to be that employer of choice. People have options and choices. What's going to make you the cool, unique place to want to work at versus your competitor? For sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I want to shift gears just a little bit here. Uh, now, Todd, you know, you're a keynote speaker and you speak all over the country to HR professionals, entrepreneurs, and everything in between. Now, there are many entrepreneurs in Startup Nation who want to be influencers. They, you know, so they get asked, you know, to, you know, do speaking engagements, things that and the other. But a lot of people, as you know, fear public speaking. What advice would you give them as a, as a, as a, uh, as a veteran public speaker yourself? Well, I, I can certainly appreciate where they're coming from. I think anytime I go on stage or anytime I'm going to do an appearance, you always get the butterflies. I, you know, I've got some friends who are professional athletes, and they talk about playing in big games and doing different things, and they're more concerned. If they don't have the butterflies, then they're not fully invested because our bodies react when we really care about something we're going to do or a performance we're going to give. So anybody who gets the, the, the butterflies in the belly, that's very normal. I think what the best piece of speaking advice I've always gotten is to speak about something you're passionate about. Speak about something you care about. That's why I talk about jobs. That's why I talk about entrepreneurship. I'm not going to go in and, and talk necessarily about something that I, I don't have a visceral connection with. And really, if I had just told this to a speaker a couple of weeks ago, the biggest thing is if you can speak with authenticity, transparency, and you can show vulnerability from stage, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to always remember the big words you use or the data points you threw out or your slides. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And if your audience in a 60-minute keynote can walk out with two to five actionable items or two to five takeaways, that's a big investment of their time versus you worrying about, was I perfect? Did I say everything identically great? And, and I had that flub. I had that mistake. That's, that's the humanness. It's like going to see a band. I'd rather see a band that plays their music live than a, a band that plays to a backtrack and it sounds just like the, the audio. Right, right. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope you got that started mentioning. That vulnerability piece, I think for me, really stands out for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so now, you know, I want to go back a little bit. Now, you, you talked about diversified industrial staffing, you know, the company you started a while back. 
Uh, and it's been recognized, you know, as, you know, Inc. Magazine 5,000 company six times, which is quite the accomplishment. However, before that happened, I know there were some radical changes that you had to make that predate that success. So, Todd, if you would, take me back to 2006. What was going on with the company at that time? Well, so, so now we're going to get into the vulnerable stuff of everything. I appreciate right. the question. And no this, worries. This is really the, the truth of it all. You know, people would would invite me to, after we made the list a few times, hey, will you come and talk to us about being successful? And I'm, which I'm always happy to do. But the reality is success is a, is a learned behavior. Success is a learned process. And the only way we were able to learn to be successful as a company by, was by nearly going out of business. In 2006, we, it was just the beginning of the recession. Not, and not everybody knew it, but hiring was starting to slow down. People were, were losing their jobs. Automotive here in Detroit was, was shifting and changing. And you know, as the leader of my company, I wasn't watching the proper, the proper navigational tools from the financial instruments of the business. Combined with, we had a couple of clients that actually, that actually basically stuck us with their debt, went out of business to the tune of almost $300,000, combined with the other debt we had. So by September of 06, we were $600,000 in debt. Wow. I was 60 days away from running out of money and I had a toxic and dysfunctional culture that was not producing any real measurable results. And I was suffering from the, a thing called imposter syndrome because I didn't want to deal with it. Gotcha. I, I, I was feeling very down. I was feeling depressed and I just didn't want to deal with anything. So in 06, I took a look at all the numbers, realized that I was in pretty bad shape and I swallowed my pride and I reached out for help and I actually hired a coach and I, and I paid him on a, on a credit card because I didn't have any money. And with his guidance and suggestions, we started putting some plans in place. And the first part of that plan is I needed to, to make a change to my staff. So September 9th, 2006, I walked in and fired my entire company and I started over. Wow. From that point, we put in a strategy, we put in some execution measurables and then boom, the next year, we made the Inc. 5000 for the first uh, of six times as one of America's fastest growing company. But, and, and that's a great part of the story, and I'm very proud of that. But the thing I'm even more proud of is that $600,000 in debt that our banks had given us the money for, our vendors had, had fronted that money to us, we paid all that back in full. And that's really, I think, the measure of the integrity we wanted to bring to that problem. Hey, Startup Nation, I want to chime in with a reflection point really quickly because Todd just said something very interesting about how he got to being honored as a six-time Inc. 5000 winner. Look, on your path to entrepreneurship, on your path to building your business, sometimes it's okay to take a step back. I know we have the pressure of trying to turn a profit as fast as we can. We have the pressure of trying to make the business work because we want to not have our friends and family say, oh, you should go back to work and things of that nature. I get all of those pressures, even the pressure that you put on yourself. However, Startup Nation, taking a step back sometimes allows you the ability to step forward. Look, if Todd didn't start over and fire everybody, it's pretty safe to say that he wouldn't be in business today, let alone being honored as such by Inc. Magazine. The point I'm trying to make is this, Startup Nation, on your path to entrepreneurship, just know that it's okay to start over because hitting that reset button allows you to see things differently. Remember when you was in year two or year three and you was like, man, if I could do it all over again, I would have done this differently. Well, look, 
this allows you to do things differently. And so on your path, you know, and maybe you don't have, you know, uh, mounds of debt like Todd had, and that's fine. But when you hit that reset button, you wipe the slate clean and you're, you're probably able to move further than the point than where you decided to start over. Let's get back to Todd. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love when you say that success is a, is a learned thing. I really appreciate that because a lot of times, you know, a, a lot of people who really are new into the entrepreneurial lifestyle and things that and the other, they really get into this notion of the, like, you know, you, st- you have the idea of video montage success and you really point out in that story that that's not really how this works. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, well, and I think especially today nowadays with, with, the, with the Facebook world we live in and the social media world where everybody's sure. posting their highlights, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with sharing the good things in your life. And you're not always going to want to put out there on, you know, I'm not going to put on Facebook, I'm $600,000 in debt. Right. That, that's, a, that's an alternate reality as well. So I think the value of programs like yours is it, it creates an opportunity for the platform for the conversation so that people do realize that there really is no overnight success. There really, you've got to grind through it. And one of the speeches I give, my, one of my favorite slides is, it's a quote from a, a doctor named Dr. Daniel Friedland. And he talks about failure. And he says, if I've learned something and, and I've grown through that process and I've, I've never really failed because every one of those quote unquote failures is nothing more than a step along my pathway to being successful. And I think that shift in mindset that every, every little one of these setbacks is temporary. Oh, by the way, every one of these successes can also be temporary if not managed appropriately. That's an, extra, that's an excellent point. So, so I think it's, it's important for people like who are listening to the program today to recognize that you know, when, we're, when we're in the entrepreneurial mindset, we can get very isolated. We can think that, well, everybody else, everybody else in the world is doing great and I'm not doing well. But the reality is most entrepreneurs struggle significantly. I mean, nine out of 10 businesses fail within the first five years. It's, it's not an easy life to go. But if you're able to, to get through that period, if you're able to, to create opportunities for your customers, create opportunities for your employees and create opportunities for your family, it can be an incredibly rewarding business, but it definitely can have, have its challenges. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Todd, I believe entrepreneurs consider themselves lifelong learners, always engaged in constant professional development. So when you hear that phrase, professional development, what does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you reading a certain book? <clears throat> Share that with us. Well, I, I do believe you're absolutely correct that to, to be a successful entrepreneur, you do have to be a lifelong learner. Uh, from, from my perspective, I, I, I go to a, a program every year at MIT on entrepreneurship. I'm part of EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. It's, it's a group of peer-to-peer learning from other entrepreneurs, other people who are in different spaces or different businesses than I am in. Uh, we get together on a monthly basis. So I learn from other people. I, I read books constantly in regarding, you know, not only just the, the practical applications of business in regards to people, cash, strategy, and execution, but I'm also reading books from, from neuroscientists who talk about how the brain works, how we make the decisions we make, why we do some of the things we do, and, and how we can can change our brain to make different decisions. Because I find that the work I do with my my current business, Extraordinary Advisors, is I'm spending a lot of time with my clients, getting them to align their business vision, their mission statement for the company with their personal core values, because oftentimes those things are out of alignment. So we spend a lot of time getting people going in that direction. So there's a lot of different ways that we can learn from podcasts, from books, from, from peers, from articles, 
and, and from experience. And we're actually going to dive right into uh, Extraordinary Advisors when we get back from break. But we're going to do that right now. How do you like being on the startup life so far? It, it, you, are a, you are an excellent question, questioner, and, and I appreciate the, the, the depths and the levels that we're going to today. This is exciting. No worries. No worries. Thank you so much. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. I hope you're getting great value from Todd's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. business owner the startup life reach is growing wouldn't you like your business to grow with it reach out to us to advertise on the startup life you can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askalsolutions.com i mean don't get me wrong like this is a great music to have break on but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it need more content from the startup life you say you can now sign up for the startup life all access pass on the binge podcast network's patreon page there is exclusive content written by yours truly video content where i share even more of my business philosophies and whatever crazy content i can think of out of that crazy head of mine and at only five dollars a month yeah five dollars a month this is more content for you startup nation to really get ahead of your competition so instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship click the link in the show notes to sign up all right startup nation so let's continue so todd if you will sir Tell us a little bit more about Extraordinary Advisors that you uh, mentioned uh, before the break. Sure. Extraordinary Advisors is my, is my coaching and speaking business. And, and what, I, what I really find is the most rewarding part of that business is the way I'm able to help entrepreneurs get out of their own way. And, and I often will speak to them from the experiences that I had back in 06 and 07 when I was in my own way. So I'll, I'll speak from what I call Gestalt, Gestalt Protocol. Here's been my experience. These are the challenges I've faced because it's very difficult sometimes for people to take advice unless you've really walked the path. Right. And I found that when, you know, when, when I was researching to find a coach, when I was looking for somebody back in 06, 07, I talked to 50 different people and most of them had never had their own business. They were just, you know, I read in a book or I took a training or I worked for a, a, you know, a McKenzie or a KPMG or someone large like that, but I've never actually had my skin in the game. So when I work with my clients, I'll often talk to them about the decisions I had to make, the challenges that I had to face, also talk about other clients that I've worked with, because I found that in order to build the business as the coach, I have to build up the entrepreneur. I have to mm. see potential within them. And I was explaining to one client one day, he's like, how do you see that stuff? I said, well, you know, if you're, and he's a football fan. I said, you're a football guy. I said, right. I'm up in the booth and I'm watching you as the quarterback trying to execute these plays. But he, you know, he, had a, he had a weak player on his team. I said, keep throwing the ball to that guy who keeps dropping the ball. So I'm going to be in your ear saying, well, why do you keep throwing the ball to this guy? Either assign him a different position on the team or you might have to free him up and let him go to go play for a different team because he's not executing for your team. 
all those different things of, of the, the guilt he was feeling of potentially having to let an employee go, the challenge he was having that he felt the employee was not coachable, the, the stress he had that the business wasn't growing the way he wanted to do. Once we got him to anchor his, his decisions in his core values and anchor his belief system in his mission statement, then he decided to let that employee go. And then his business took off like a, like a hot fire. He, he increased his margins by almost fourfold. And he's making more money than he's ever made before. And it couldn't do that until he got out of his own way. Right. And, and I appreciate you sharing that because that, that's one of those things where I imagine as an entrepreneur and you have employees, like letting someone go has to be tough. Like that cannot be an easy thing. But sometimes it's, it's the necessary thing to do in order to, like you said, to really move forward and scale the business. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, and I share this with all of my clients because when I, when I go to work with a, a CEO or an entrepreneur, I'm typically also working with their leadership team. And, mm-hmm. and every single time that I start working with a group, I always tell the leader, you have to be okay that up to half of your team could turn over within the first 12 months. Because yeah. as you change as a leader and as you change the direction of the company or as you start holding others accountable or you start really putting out there what's important to you, that's going to rub people the wrong way. They may self-select off the team. You may identify a teammate who you have who's just an underperformer or they're on the wrong, in the wrong seat and we have to make some difficult choices. But, and what I really teach them to do is I teach them how to, how to let people go when they do have to terminate someone with an amazing level of kindness and compassion because it is a difficult choice. But the reality is not every job is for every person. So if someone's on your team and they're in the wrong spot, Let's craft an opportunity where they can have a soft landing, where they can get freed up to go do what they should be doing, and even if it's doing it for somebody else. And so we'll go through the language tracks, we'll, we'll put together a plan, we'll, and then we'll coach them through how to, to terminate with kindness. Because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's, it's important for me as the coach to make sure I'm taking care of the, the best interest of the entire entity, not just a few players on the team or, or just even the entrepreneur, the CEO. We have to think about what the best interest of the organism is. If this business needs the five leaders of the team to be going in one direction. You've got one person going in a different direction. They may not be a, a good fit for this team long term. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that for sure. So I know at Extraordinary Advisors that you have workshops and other services that you provide coaching and things of that nature. What kind of value can your, could your clients expect when they, when they get coaching from Todd? And once again, Startup Nation, if you want coaching from Todd, go to ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. There is actually a link in the show notes for easy access. But what kind of value do they get from you, Todd, when they get some of your coaching? Typically what I tell people is you can expect to get about a four times return on your investment. Wow. So it depends on what they want. And, and you know, the other thing of it is too, is I do a pretty thorough diagnostic when I'm, when someone's interested in engaging me and I'd say I probably turned down 50 to 75% of the people who want to work with me because it's just not going to be a good long-term fit. So gotcha. for me, I, I need someone, like you said, who's a lifelong learner. I need someone who's coachable. I need someone who can bring a certain level of self-awareness and authenticity to that relationship. Because what I do in my coaching practice is I, you know, I do twice a month phone calls. I do quarterly sessions with the leadership team, but I'm also available to my clients 24 seven, 365. So if they've got a crisis, they've got an issue, they simply send me a text or give me a phone call. And I promise to get back to them within six to 12 hours to address those issues. Now, I know a lot of coaches who, who are part of different programs will do just the quarterly meetings and maybe they do a couple other programs. 
I actually enjoy walking the path of my, my clients. I enjoy being in the weeds with them. I enjoy fighting the battles with them because if I can help them see a different opportunity in the moment and they can make a different pivot in that time frame, then they're able to have success and they're able to take care of the things that are important to them right now. I'm not going to make somebody wait until our next quarterly meeting in 60 days. Let's do it now. Let's get it taken care of now. And what I find is the, the, the accelerated growth these companies have, so far everybody I've worked with has exceeded that 4X multiplier. So it's worked well, but again, it's not a process and, it's, and, I, and I'm not a coach that's gonna fit everybody, but for the ones I've worked with and the ones who, who've trusted me with their businesses and, 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 their, and their personal fears and their self-doubts, we've been able to conquer those in such a way where they've reached you know, levels of financial success as well as or freedom of time success they never even thought was possible. Gotcha. I hear that. Now, Todd, I want to go back to something you said earlier before the break. You talked about the imposter syndrome, right? And that's something that you, it appears that you work with your clients and your workshops and coaching and seminars and things of that nature. The reason I bring that up is because honestly, you don't hear a lot of men saying that that's an issue for them, the imposter syndrome, right? And so I really think that, you know, um, you speaking about that vulnerability, it makes me think about Brene Brown and how vulnerability is power. It really reminds me of how being vulnerable can be a big asset. Do you agree with that? I really do. In fact, you know, the, the vulnerability, transparency, and authenticity are what inspire people. Mm -hmm. I think Brene Brown is, is, is a cutting edge leader in that space. I've watched her podcast or her TED Talks several times and I always find new information. When it comes to, to being a specifically a, a man in the business place, uh, you've got to bring your, your true self in there because people can feel the difference. They can feel it on a cellular level that you're posturing or that you're BSing them. And I did that. And, and when I was in bad space, 06, I, I didn't tell anybody how bad things were. I just walked around walking, you know, like the emperor had no clothes. I thought I had it all figured out. I was very self-reliant. A lot of entrepreneurs become that way. A lot of it comes from our childhood of our self-reliance. But as soon as we can reach out and we can ask for that kind of help and we can find that trusted advisor who's going to give us that, that, that guidance, who's going to hear our fears. And, we, you know, there's so much power in saying, you know, I'm simply afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to let my family down. I'm afraid I'm going to let my employees down. Mm. I'm, af I'm afraid because I don't know the right answer, but I know the answer's out there. Versus thinking you've got to take all that burden, all that responsibility. It, it can be crushing. It can be debilitating. Yeah. So, and, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so with my clients, I find, you know, I had, I had one, one, one client who just burst into tears because he says to me, I just don't know what to do anymore. And I've tried everything I can possibly do. And he was basically in the brain, in the brain space of fight or flight. Right. And we shared that with me. We were able to free up that energy, free up that mindset. And then we, we just brainstormed out for like an hour and a half, all the creative solutions he could possibly think of. Boom, he was on his way. But until he, it's, it's almost like people who have you know, challenges with substance or with alcohol or with other right. things until they were able to really recognize that they are sometimes powerless to things that are going on around them, that's when they take the power back. That's when they get creative. That's when they get into a higher state of conscious so that they're able to be creative. Because when, when, an, when an entrepreneur is worried about cash, when they're worried about different things, they can't be their best creative self. And it's that creative self that creates those opportunities for the marketplace for them to create a unique offering, a unique service, a unique product. 
So we've got to access that in order for them to be successful. And they can't be there if they're living in a space of fear and self-doubt. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And that actually leads me to my next question, Todd, because on your website, you have testimonials, right? And so, you know, when you, when you think about those testimonials and people saying like, Todd, man, thank you so much. I don't know where I would have gone if I didn't get it. No, I don't know where I would be today if I didn't contact you and got that coaching from you. How does that make you feel, man? Like when you hear those testimonials and you hear that sense of relief, like, like I really helped somebody today. What does that make you feel on the inside, Todd? You know, it, it's incredibly humbling, Dominic. Um, I was so fortunate about 12 years ago. I met a guy named Simon Sinek. He wrote a, a book that had- Absolutely, had, yeah, absolutely. So I got a chance to work with him one-on-one. -on -one. And in that work, we discovered for me what my is. And my why is improving lives. This is, I mean, it's on the back of my business card. It's what I want to do. So when a, when a client voluntarily shares that I was able to help them or they, they send me a, a referral to a trusted friend or family member, I take that incredibly seriously because it, it's the work they've done. I've simply maybe created space for them to see those opportunities or I've helped them you know, discard some of their stinking thinking to be able to free up that, that part. But they've actually done the work and that they're so, so grateful and so appreciative. And when someone really does take the time to, to put something in writing, it, it's just incredibly, it's incredibly humbling because I, I'm just, you know, I'm just a regular person. I'm an entrepreneur who struggled as well. And so when I'm able to, to, to share that and I'm able to maybe dull the edge of the pain for them or remove some of the pain they've felt because we come up with a new strategy or a new concept or get them to hire a new employee or get them to get rid of a toxic employee, it's the reward is so incredibly rewarding. It's really hard to put into words. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Todd, I know you live there in Michigan in the Detroit area, like we said uh, before. And so with that being said, it, you know, in your state, it reminds me you have one of the, the best coaches of any sport of any level in Tom Izzo in Michigan State, in my opinion, of course. And so, you know, I always thought that, you know, with Tom, he, not, he doesn't always have the best talent. But what you know you're going to get with him and his team is that they're going to play hard and they're going to focus on fundamentals. So when I think about that and I think about your coaching business and your coaching style, if I were to ask one of your clients, like what's Todd's coaching style, what would they tell me? It's so funny because I just had a client tell me this. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. I, I had someone reach out to me, I'd like to work with you, but can I get a referral? So I sent them a couple of people and mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't prep them. I said, just tell them whatever you want to tell them. And both of these, both of the referrers told this person the same thing is that, that, Todd cares tremendously about our success and he does, he does, you know, he is authentic. He, what he did, you know, what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, be the best things they tell me is I make them feel incredibly uncomfortable mm. because I ask them the difficult questions and then I let them sit with them and I don't rescue them. I hear that. And as, and as they sit with those uncomfortable questions and they sit with those difficult decisions, I'm there as a sounding board, but I let them talk it out. One of the things I think I bring to the table is my job is to listen to absorb. My job is not listen to listen to respond. And I take them and I move them from the, the thought process they have of they expect something to happen. They demand something to happen. I said, let's talk about having the intention behind that. What do you intend to have happen? And how do we get you there? And what they say is, you know, Todd makes it incredibly uncomfortable. He gets us to think in a very unique way. And he always pulls us out of the fire before the end of our call or the end of our session. So then we've got actionable steps. But until they lean into that uncomfortableness, until they, they go through that, that, that piece of, 
you know, going back to Tom Izzo, you know, they, they've got to run those ladders. They've got to do that running and those muscles right. are going to hurt. But right. that's why his teams are better conditioned because he's willing to put the kids in a spot where they are uncomfortable. One of the, the, so I'm a big baseball fan. Gotcha. I, got, I got an opportunity to spend some time with Jim Leland when he was the manager of the Detroit right. Tigers. Right. And I, I thought I had the most brilliant question ever. I said, hey, I just have one question for you, Coach. How do you manage 25 egos uh, of multimillionaires who probably make more money than you do, yet you're the leader in the clubhouse. How do you deal with that? He goes, oh, it's really easy. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get like the, the holy grail of wisdom. <laughs> he goes, here's, your, here's what you do. You manage them all the same. You manage them 25 different ways. Shook my hand and walked away. I'm like, oh my gosh, but now that I'm coaching, it's very true. Every one of my coaching relationships is very unique. It's like having, it's like having 25 kids. I, I care about them desperately. I want to see them be successful. I want them to have the, the version of success that they want, not the version of success that I think they should have. So by anchoring in what they want, creating a path for them to get there, creating those, those sometimes those uncomfortable moments where that learning really takes place, I think that if you talk to all of my clients, you'd see those pillars appear again and again. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and from afar, I, I, I'm very familiar with General Lee. He just seems like a straight shooter. So that, that, that story doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, he is a real guy. <laughs> There's just no, uh, no fluff with Jim Leland. For sure. For sure. And I was actually going to uh, save this for later, but since we're already here, I'm, I was going to ask you here now. Uh, so I, like I said, you, like you said, you are a big baseball fan. I saw that you were at Comerica Park for opening day. So I want to ask you this, man. The greatest Detroit Tiger to ever put on a uniform is who? Well, that's a pretty big question. <laughs> yeah. So I've been really fortunate. I, I actually still play baseball. I still play okay. competitively in Detroit. I'll go to Arizona. And I'll play in Florida. I'll play in the tournaments. Okay. And I had the real, the real fortunate to, to go and participate in the Detroit Tigers fantasy camp. Nice. So I've actually got to meet these, a lot of these guys over the course of time. And it's interesting because now that – that I've actually spent time with them as men and as people, my, my opinion has actually changed. I would think most people would say that the greatest Detroit Tiger of you know, my generation would have been like an Alan Trammell or a Jack Morris, you know, the Hall of Fame types or the Kurt Gibson with the big home runs. Right. Um, my, my favorite player growing up was Lance Parrish. I wore number 13. He wore number 13. And I've met Lance several times, and he's a complete class act. But for me, you know, I think the greatest Detroit Tiger of, of all time is, is so generational. It's really hard to put a label on it. Gotcha. But, I, but I will say this. The best player, the best human being combination I've ever had an opportunity and very fortunate to interact with has been Alan Trammell. He, he's a true gentleman. He's nice to everybody, regardless of what your station in life is. He doesn't really he's, – he's giving of himself. He's an excellent teacher. He, he cares. He has pride in what he does. Versus a lot of a lot of athletes, you know, and they'll tell you this when they're playing. It was pretty much all about them. It was a dog eat dog world. I, I love talking to the retired players. They just have a different appreciation for not only where they've had their successes, some of the struggles they've experienced, but also what can they give back, not only to the, the fans and people they meet, but also back to the game they love. It's just it's so refreshing to spend time with someone like Alan Trammell. For sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Todd, clearly you must be a cool dad because Ty, your son Tyler invited you to come eat with him and his girlfriend for Cinco de Mayo. And so, <laughs> yes, he did. Right. So you have to admit that's high praise, right? So well, and, it, it, and clearly, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, please go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say clearly you guys have a great relationship. So I guess I wanted to ask you this: What has Tyler taught you about building relationships and running a company? 
you know, that's a, that's probably the best question I've ever been asked on a podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to ask that. No so worries. I was, I was a single dad. Um, I got custody of Tyler when he was two years old. Okay. And I started my company when he was about seven. So he saw the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows of, of business. And I think the, the biggest lesson I learned from Tyler was in regards to 2006. He and I had a conversation and I told him about the, the bad state of the business. There were years we didn't have Christmas because of decisions that I had made. Mm. And we would talk about it. And I said to him, because he, he, he had a friend whose dad was a bankruptcy attorney. He goes, well, I was talking to Mr. So-and-so and I told him about your situation. He said he could just, you could just file bankruptcy and you could discharge that $600,000 in debt and start over. And I said to him, buddy, you're absolutely correct. I could totally do that. But, but since, you, since you've been just a little guy, I, I've always told you that we honor our words. We keep our commitments. We are, we are, we are men of pride. We are, we are men of, of honesty. And I said, I said, I've not done everything I, thing I can possibly do to, to pay off that debt. So until I do that, I can't in good faith to the banks or to the vendors who, who fronted us that cash, not honor those commitments or at least, you know, nearly die trying. So it's so funny. He and I, he just graduated college a couple of years ago. And for his graduation gift, we actually went hiking in the mountains of Peru to Machu Picchu. Nice. And he brought that conversation up out of nowhere. And he said, yeah, I was telling somebody in my business classes about that story. And they were just blown away because the easy thing to do would have been to discharge that money. He goes, right. you, you know, you stood up and you, you kept your word and, you know, maybe we sacrificed, but you know, I, I have, he was so respectful towards me and he was so, so uh, he, had, he had an admiration for my decisions. And I think now, you know, as he's entering the phase of his life where he's going to be starting a family someday soon, probably right. it, it's, it's a great legacy as a, as a parent to recognize and realize that sometimes things that we don't think our kids are paying attention to, they're actually paying attention to. Things that we think we're maybe, you know, because again, we want to make our kids happy. I could, yeah, I'm going to discharge the money. I'm not going to, not going to pay it just so Tyler can have a, a better Christmas that year. No, the, the reality is we, we got into this problem. We're going to get out of this problem somehow. And, you know, like Jim Collins talks about good to great. We're going to deal with our brutal reality, our Stockdale paradox. And we're going to have faith that we're going to somehow survive, but we're going to recognize how we got here. And for him as a, you know, 20 something year old accountant to say that to me, that that that's a legacy that's going to pay dividends hopefully for generations within our family i hear that you're you're absolutely right it's amazing what kids retain right and they just kind of pop it out of nowhere so i appreciate you sharing that story for sure well i appreciate you asking no worries no worries uh so todd you know as you know the startup life podcast is based here in memphis tennessee and i see that you were recently here i see you have pictures at a central barbecue at redbirds uh stadium this that, and the other so let me ask you this man how was the barbecue Oh, the barbecue was outstanding. Awesome. I mean, we had such a good time. I was so, so blessed. We, myself and my partner, Jennifer, we were invited to come down and, and do a client session down in Memphis. And mm -hmm. my client was so, so generous with his time. And he, he took us around the city and we got to try a bunch of different things and got to meet some really authentically, genuinely nice people. And we got to go to Graceland and, and just enjoy the entire community. And it was just, I'd never been to Memphis, and it, and it reminded me so much of parts of Detroit. Detroit, we've got the Motown Museum. You guys have right. Sun Records and Graceland mm -hmm. and the music and the people and the, the pride that people that I interacted with was just so, so refreshing. And the people were so 
you know, very thoughtful and very caring about their community. It really reminded me of, of being back home, which I mean, when you travel, you want to see new things, but you always love that sense of, of being part of, of a community that cares about where they're from and what they want to represent to the world. And Memphis did an outstanding job when we were there. For sure. Well, we, you know, just know that you're always welcome back uh, in the Bluff City for sure. I'm glad you had a good time. And I, I, I hope to come back soon. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So, Todd, I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why? You know, I, I think my superpower is that willingness to be in the uncomfortable moments and that willingness to, to go up in front. I mean, I've sat in front of uh, 600 people and told them the story of being 600K in debt, 60 days away from running out of money, firing my entire company, all the different challenges we went through versus walking on stage and saying, you know what, I, I'm a super genius. We're on the Inc. 5,000 six times aren't I cool? Because that's just not true. The reality is in those tough moments. So, you know, whether it's with my staff or, or whether it's with, with my family, I think the, the biggest thing it, it, for me that I think makes me uniquely who I am is my ability to be, I call it ATV, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, mm-hmm. and present with people. Because I think that giving someone the gift of being present for the conversation and sharing that moment with them, whether again, it's, a, it's one of my clients with Extraordinary Advisors, with our, our diversified industrial staffing employees, helping them find new jobs with a client trying to solve an issue. It, people seem to genuinely appreciate that in today's world where maybe not as much of that was going on as it was 20 years ago. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And before I ask my last question, Todd, I just want to say once again, thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life Podcast, powered by the Binge Podcast Network. You great, gave amazing value from talking about vulnerability to the imposter syndrome to even talk about how to come over those fears of public speaking. So I do appreciate all of that, good sir, for sure. So now I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you and I want you to talk to Startup Nation. Look, there's an entrepreneur out there. They're looking for a little motivation today. They feel stuck in their business. They don't know how to move forward or they're afraid to get started. Todd, talk to Startup Nation and tell them why they should move forward today. Well, the best thing I can tell anybody who's listening from Startup Nation today is this. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of hyperbole and there's a lot of spin and a lot of polish around entrepreneurship nowadays. The reality is it's a hard job. You are building a job for yourself. You're building a career for yourself. And recognize that. Give yourself that caring and compassion to lean into those uncomfortable moments. If you don't know something, don't be stubborn like I was. Don't, don't collapse in yourself and suffer from imposter syndrome like I did. Reach out for help. There's plenty of people. There's coaches like myself. There, there's people through EO. There's people through SCORE and other organizations. But an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur risk. Recognize that wherever you go, present your best self. Because you're always, you never know whether you're talking to somebody at the grocery store or you're talking to somebody you know, at a restaurant. You never know who your next customer could be, or better yet, you never know who your next employee could be. So bring your best self wherever you go. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And if you think that you have a great idea or you have a great business thing that you want to go out there, I always tell people to take that leap of faith. Believe in yourself and know that there are people out in the world that want to see you succeed. And you can, too, potentially make the Inc. 5,000 six times like we did. I hear that. Thank you so much. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Todd, thank you so much. Did you enjoy being on the show? 
you know what, Dominic, I had a great time. And, and you know, I appreciate so much your willingness to do such a great job researching. And, and so what I'd like to tell your audience today is anybody who enjoyed our conversation today, go to extraordinaryadvisors.com, hit me up on the contact page. I'm happy to give you 30 minutes of my time and we can talk about whatever you want. But please mention that you heard me on Dominic's show so I can get, I can get back to him and, and share with him what a, what a great group of listeners he's got. That is amazing. You hear it first, Startup Nation. There, you know we love freebie, Startup Nation. So Todd, thank you so much for that and I really appreciate that. And we'll probably, uh, and once again, we'll have Extraordinary Advisors, the link in the show notes for easy access. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. Todd gave us some great value from talking about vulnerability to talking about hitting the reset button and everything in between. But one thing I wanna really highlight Startup Nation is the public speaking piece that he talked about earlier. Look, on your path to entrepreneurship, you wanna be, some of you are gonna to wanna to be known as influencers and people of expertise, if you will, and you're gonna have those public speaking events. When Todd talks about the important thing is making sure you leave somebody with some type of value or just a couple of talking points, that is so important. A lot of times, Startup Nation, we feel that like, oh, we we gotta empty the cup or we gotta get all the words out. And sometimes, Startup Nation, when public speaking, that's not necessarily something you necessarily have to do. As long as you make an impact, Startup Nation, whether it be a 30-minute speech or a 60-minute speech or a five-minute speech, honestly, that's all that really matters. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Bench Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. What up, Startup Nation? Are you here for that extra content? All righty. Here you go. The state of entrepreneurship in in the United States in particular, and, and, and maybe even the world uh, because of the internet, but let's take the United States specifically. Sure. There is this, it's it's a, a and I think you use the word entrepreneur. It's 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 absolutely or a entrepreneur. It's yeah. absolutely true. If you're gonna start up a little Spotify store and try to resell uh, raincoats. Uh, and and you're putting an hour into it a day and you're calling that a business and you're an entrepreneur, that's dumb. That's not who you are. That's not what being an entrepreneur is. It's not even close. An entrepreneur is somebody that risks everything to get some return and works like they never can imagine having to work. If you're not doing that, there are no shortcuts. 
And I think that that the problem has been that there are some, and they are very, very few. That's why they're called unicorns. That startup nation is the no-nonsense straight shooter Jerry Brazy out of Portland, Oregon. So if you want to get that content as soon as it's uploaded, go ahead and subscribe on the Startup Life Podcast on any of your favorite major podcast platforms. So that way, when that content with Jerry is uploaded, it'll be right there waiting for you. But until then, Startup Nation, get out of here. You got a company to grow.